What's going on, everybody, and welcome into another edition of B Shafe Daily. Brendan Schaefer here with you on Thursday, June 16th. We're talking early morning hours as it's past midnight here in O'Fallon, Missouri, where I'm recording this episode of B Shafe Daily. Looking to break down the outing by Jack Flaherty as the Cardinals, uh, they didn't get the result that they wanted on Wednesday night at Bush Stadium. 6-4, they fall to the Pirates, unable to secure the sweep. They win the series. They do get three out of four over the Bucks, but had a chance for the four-game sweep after sweeping the doubleheader on Tuesday. And then, of course, they came back on Monday's game one, winning that one 7-5. Had a wonderful day on Tuesday. Could not get it done on Wednesday in the season debut of Jack Flaherty. Going to talk a lot about that in tonight's B-Shape Daily. Make sure to subscribe to B-Shape Daily. If you've not done so already, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. We've had a lot of episodes coming out this week. Already one earlier today that I put out on conversation from Tuesday's KTGR Big Show where we played some interesting audio from Andrew Kisner, a little mic drop that I thought was interesting from Tuesday night after the Miles Michaelis near no-hitter. So check that out if you have not done so already. But tonight, let's get into Jack Flaherty, as this was obviously a much-anticipated start. We haven't seen Flaherty at all at the big league level this season. Coming into spring training, he had the shoulder situation that you know, the, the Cardinals didn't really know about until he got there because with the MLB lockout, I know it seems like it's so long ago, but that was the topic of conversation that really dominated baseball talk in the offseason. The lockout was going on. Players, major league players, did not have the ability to access team personnel. That included team doctors. And so when they these guys showed up to spring training, Sometimes they showed up with some surprises. And in the case of Jack Flaherty, team knew kind of going into the lockout that, you know, the shoulder had been bothering him late in the 2021 season. He spent time on the injured list because of it. You remember he tried to ramp his way back up in late September in case of a potential playoff run for the Cardinals. That run, of course, did not materialize. Cardinals lost the wild card game out in Los Angeles to the Dodgers. Flaherty was on that wild card game roster, but he did not appear in the game. And then he goes into the offseason and experiences some more discomfort. And so has to miss the beginning of the season. He got an injection around mid-March. I believe March 18th or so was the date that that took place or that that news dropped anyway. And then from there, it was a long way back for Jack Flaherty, working to strengthen the muscles in his shoulder to try to avoid a relapse, if you will, of the discomfort and the the pain, the situation that he was unable to pitch through. And so he goes through all that process and then has a rehab assignment with Springfield, pitches well in three innings, rehab assignment with Memphis, pitches well in four innings, gets up to 59 pitches. And the way Oliver Marmel talked all week leading up to, I guess I shouldn't say all week, but over the weekend and early in the week, the plan was for Jack Flaherty to once again go to pitch for Memphis, have a 75 or so pitch outing with the Redbirds and AAA, and then maybe he would work his way to the bigs. I had been saying, if you've been listening to B-Shape Daily or the big show on KTGR, I had been saying, listen, 60 pitches, whatever Jack Flaherty can give at the big league level, 75, whatever it might be, that's more valuable, I think, to the Cardinals, especially the way he had been pitching in the rehab games, more valuable to the Cardinals than 
throwing another 75 pitches at the minor league level. Well, the Cardinals agreed. Jack Flaherty agreed. He was itching to get back onto the mound at Bush Stadium, had a conversation with the team, and I guess you could say convinced the team that he was ready and that the best opportunity for him would be one that occurred in St. Louis on Wednesday rather than at the minor league level. They decided to ramp him up in terms of intensity and the intensity jump being from AAA to the major leagues where it just has more meaning to it. It's not an exhibition, so to speak. Like when you're pitching in the minor leagues, it's by all, you know, by all accounts, that's an exhibition for a major league pitcher who's who, who knows that he's heading back to the big leagues in short order. It's hard to match the intensity of what a major league game in a major league environment would bring. And rather than get up to 75 pitches with another minor league game, Jack Flaherty said, what's best for me in my process, I would like to pitch the big league level. The Cardinals said, we trust you. This is open and honest communication, and we're going to take your word that that this is what's best. And the team agreed with him, and then they decided to give him that opportunity on Wednesday. Did not go, though, the way anybody had hoped or anticipated that it would. They knew 60 pitches would be the timeline, would be the pitch count for him. Basically the same count that he had in his last minor league start, but knowing with the ramp up and intensity what that would bring. And again, that doesn't mean he was going to intend to throw harder, more velocity or anything like that in Wednesday's outing. That was not the prescribed intention anyway, but the intensity conversation was more about just the natural environment that is inherent to a big league game. And so that's why he wanted it. He wanted to get back on the mound, take a crack at the real thing rather than uh, another ramp-up game where, it, you, you you know, you can only replicate so much the environment of a big league game. And so that's what Jack Flaherty wanted. It didn't pan out, though, when he got to the mound on Wednesday at Bush Stadium. Final line on Jack Flaherty tonight, three innings pitched, 60 pitches in total, 37 strikes, gives up four runs, only two of them were earned, although you could make a case that if the pitcher is the one delivering the error that leads to a run, should that not be considered an earned run? Semantics, but Jack Flaherty was not his sharpest tonight. I don't think there's any question about that. Jack Flaherty said as much, and his postgame was rather interesting, as it often is with Jack Flaherty. This is a guy that when things aren't going well, he is not shy about that. He's not going to mince words or hold back. And so, uh, for the first time, I guess maybe I'll need to put an explicit warning on a B-shaped daily, although I drop a word every now and again. But uh, Jack Flaherty dropped a word, so if you've got kids around, I'm going to play a clip for you. Make sure uh, if that doesn't fly in your household like it does in mine, then you're just aware of that being the situation. But Jack Flaherty, you know, he had that intensity to him, as he often does, and it manifests in this way because the outing didn't go very well. 31-pitch first inning for Jack Flaherty. Started off with a nine-pitch strikeout to uh, Tucupita Marcano. Tucupita Marcano. They say it differently on the radio broadcast every time, but I think that's right. But he kind of had to battle. Guys fouling off pitches, and then you get the strikeout. Brian Reynolds, who remains a stone-cold killer, triples as the second batter of the game off of Flaherty. And from there, it just he just didn't quite look right in that first inning. Gets the uh, four-pitch walk to... Brian Hayes command just wasn't there. Talked about the fastball command not being great, but in that at bat, he only threw one fastball. The rest were sliders that just missed. And if you look at the graphic with the pitch locations, you know, he wasn't really getting squeezed. They were all out of the strike zone and all low and away missing with the slider and then missed a little high with the fastball. So having a little bit of trouble reigning in his command early, 
And then there was a ground out by Daniel Vogelbach. Ground ball to Brendan Donovan, who was playing first base tonight. And this was one that in the postgame, Ollie Marmel said, yeah, that's usually a play that gets made. But, you know, that time it, it wasn't. Brendan Donovan, by the way, had a great game. Uh, you know, that was in the first inning. Kind of knocked the ball down, but didn't get it right away. Could have been a 3-6-3 double play. Instead, he just had to take the out at first base. And ultimately, Brian Reynolds scores on that play from third. And then you've got another guy in scoring position at that point who ends up scoring the next batter, Cal Mitchell, singles to drive in Cabrian Hayes at that point. And that was another example of Jack Flaherty getting behind in the count when it comes to the Mitchell at bat. Goes 2-0, gets a strike over, then it's 3-1, and misses with a fastball, and then feels like he's got to be a little too fine with something in a full count situation. And so really for Jack Flaherty, it was just kind of a, a grind in that first inning to be able to get through it. Gives up a couple of runs, gets Michael Chavis on a strikeout then to end the inning. So two strikeouts in the inning, but 31 pitches. And that is not the way you want to start out an outing when you know that you're, you're upper limit for pitch count is only going to be 60 pitches. And so you've given up runs. You've thrown already more than half of your allotted pitch count for the game. Not the first inning you want to have. Then he goes into the second inning, leadoff walk. Not a great situation to get into. Again, when you've got a pitch count, that's not where you want to be. And then the Pirates start to do something interesting, and it worked out to their favor, but I, it really shouldn't have. This was, you can't really attribute any of this to Jack Flaherty's pitching issues, but the Cardinals, including Jack Flaherty and uh, his teammate that you never would expect to have such an issue, couldn't throw the ball to first base. Tyler Heineman, who used to be a Cardinal, he was uh, in the minor league system anyway. I don't know if he ever got to the bigs. I think he did maybe briefly. A catcher a year or two ago. He goes for a sacrifice bunt. Flaherty fields it, but then throws it wildly to first base. And then Kanan Smith and the Jigba scores from first. He was the guy that were trying to advance to second, the leadoff walk. He scores all the way from first. Ball goes down the right field line. It was a whole thing. <laughs> it was an absolute ordeal. And maybe an example of Flaherty just being a little bit too amped up for the outing. He throws 31 pitches in the first inning. Talked about being amped up after the game. Maybe we'll play some of that audio for you here in a little bit. I think that continued into the second when he walks the leadoff man and he's trying to be too perfect. He gets to the bunt and then throws it away. Causes further damage. Next guy comes up to bat. He bunts as well. Hoy Park, first pitch bunt. The Pirates are just content to say, hey, we haven't won a game in this series. We're going to try and extricate any runs that we can from this situation when we've got a guy in scoring position. So Heineman's already on second. Nobody out. They bunt again. This time Yadier Molina throws it away. And that's something that you absolutely never expect to see happen. But it does. Leads to the second run of the inning scoring. And suddenly, Jack Flaherty's given up four runs. And he's still pitching in the second inning. Having to grind through that one. Got a double play. Ended up then getting a strikeout later on to end that inning. And looked pretty good in the third, by the way. Third inning, he really did settle down. One, two, three inning. Only threw two balls in the inning. I think it was a 10-pitch inning overall. Much more solid by Flaherty at that point. But by then it was really too late because you're out of the game. Threw his 60th pitch on the third out of the third inning, and that was it for him. And knew that going in. And whether that may be factored in a little bit for Jack Flaherty, just the notion of knowing that you've got this pitch count kind of looming over your head, does that cause you to press a little bit in the situation where 
you start getting behind in counts, and now you're worried about, oh, crap, I have to get out of this quickly. Otherwise, I'm not going to be able to get very deep into the game. I know I've got this pitch count. Like, those are maybe things that cross your mind as a pitcher. But Jack Flaherty talked after the game rather extensively with his thoughts on the outing. And I'll start with this because it was kind of the money quote where Jim Hayes of Valley Sports Midwest asked Flaherty, you know, hey, obviously you're disappointed with the outing, but he said, is this just an outing like this? Is it just part of the process of trying to get back from injury and returning to form? And Jack Flaherty very much disagreed with the notion that an outing like Wednesday night has to be part of any process for, uh, because it was an unsuccessful outing, but rather than say, yeah, you know, it's just good to get back out there and, and kind of get my feet under me a little bit again. He said, nope, there is no process. This doesn't have to be my process as a pitcher with the expectations that I have. So here's what Jack Flaherty said about the process and whether Wednesday had to be, you know, an outing like Wednesday had to be a part of his process to return to where he wants to be. Do you consider this kind of part of the process, though, to get back to where no, you're No, I don't. There's no part of the process of any of this. Like, if I come out and I go and pitch, like, I want to pitch well, it's not like, oh, well, you, you know, you, you pitch, and it's the first one. I'm like, bullshit. Like, it's like it's, no. It's like, you go out and you feel good, you feel good this whole time, and, like, you want to go out and, and pitch well and not have the first thing where you do. You make a bad pitch throw, like, okay, he takes advantage of it. We get a, we get a, you know, we, we walk Hayes, probably could have made better pitches there, and then, get the ground ball to, you know, on Vogelbach, and it was a tough play for Donnie. Like, okay, that happens, and then, okay, then you got to go get the next guy and make a bad pitch to Mitchell, which just extends the inning even more. So, and then, you know, the inning after that, you know, I throw a ball away, and, you know, that, that started it, and it just was another weird inning. But there's no, like, oh, this is the process. This is the first one. Like, yeah, okay, yeah, it's the first one, but I don't, that's just how it works. Like, if you felt good, and you come out, and you'd be like, yeah, I feel good, stuff's been great. You know, come out and be like, oh, yeah, no, command wasn't great. Like, yeah, that happens. You have games like that, but it's not always part of the process. Like, no. Couldn't be much more direct than that from Jack Flaherty. Am I wrong? I, like, I mean, you, you could just tell in his voice that he was, I, I don't, I, not necessarily rambling, but just kind of, it was all happening a little fast for him, I think, during the game, which he acknowledged a little later that he doesn't really know where it came from, but had some butterflies, had some, he, he was amped up more so than, maybe he usually would be for a start at the major league level. It's not like he hasn't done this before, but it's been a while. And so for whatever reason, he was just a little bit amped up tonight and had to kind of settle in and it, and it took him a little bit of time to do so. And that makes your life difficult. Again, when you've got only 60 pitches to work with, if you spend half of them trying to settle in, it's, it's maybe not going to be the most productive night for you, but you could tell in Jack Flaherty's response there to that question that no, he doesn't want to make excuses for what was, by all accounts, just a a poor outing for him. He doesn't think it has to be part of the process to to struggle. He doesn't want to struggle. He wants to go out there and pitch well. And I totally understand where he's coming from, and he's right. Didn't have to be this way, but he just didn't have his best stuff tonight. And I think in, in some respects, he is spot on because of the competitor that he is, and that's the way he's going to approach it. But in other ways, you can kind of cut him a little bit of slack, I think, just considering what his year's been like, and really not just this year. You look at last year, he had the oblique, and then he had the shoulder at the end of the season. It, this was a, a moment for him that I think he was probably pretty amped up and pretty excited for, and so it's maybe a little bit understandable to have nerves get the best of you somewhat in the first time out, but yeah, he's a competitive guy, and so he doesn't want that to be the case for him. There's no rule that says, 
yeah, you're going to struggle in your first outing because it's a little bit different and it's a little bit scary because you haven't done it in a while. There's no rule that says that, and so I think he's disappointed in himself that he wasn't able to overcome some of that with his outing on Wednesday, but it's just the reality of what it was. He did not have his best stuff, and at the end of the day, he he paid for that in, in the scorebook. The box score certainly doesn't lie, and when you get into the second inning and then you give up two unearned runs, and you're basically responsible for that as well because that's just that's not a, a pitching problem. That's just throwing a ball away that is a play that he'll make most of the time. And Yadier Molina, I thought Jack had a good quote about Molina's, and he said, you know, Yadier's Yachty's fantastic. That's just one of those things. Yadi makes that play 10 out of 10 times, and this just happened to be the 11th time. And so was able to kind of work his way through that one and, and then did have a good third inning. But, yeah, overall, you can't be pleased with uh, the way Jack Flaherty performed tonight, and he was not, as you could tell in, in that clip right there. I am going to go ahead and play for you. I've talked about it a little bit, but him talking about just having a little bit of nerves for tonight's start, something maybe he didn't expect would be the case, but ultimately it was, and maybe how that impacted the outing in, in somewhat of a negative way for him. That's about as juiced up as I've been, honestly. Like, I had to catch my breath and try to slow down there. I'm coming out. I don't know why. I don't know how. I don't know what. Usually I keep that under, under wraps pretty well, but it was one of those I had to, like, mm-hmm. you know, kind of gather myself. You think that was you wanted the higher intensity of being in a major league stadium, maybe? I don't know where it came from. Just uh-huh. was one of those, you know, pitching playoff games before, pitching big um, settings, but... Um, just was one of those I really had to like slow down a little bit. Um, maybe that led to some of the you know first inning command being a little bit off, but um, after that we were able to you know settle in and try to settle in and go and finally settled in in the third. Um, was just you know, one of the things of you know, working on a short pitch count, like you settle in and you know maybe if you know it's a longer game, like it, it, it turns into something different and you, you try to get a little bit deeper, but uh, yeah. That's Cardinals starter Jack Flaherty after his outing on Wednesday night at Bush Stadium. Didn't go the way that he wanted it to. Kind of makes sense there when you think about him thinking about, all right, if I've got 60 pitches, I can ramp up and I can be settled into my outing now by the third inning, but now I'm done. If you had a 100 pitch count like a regular start normally would be, you maybe aren't so concerned about the 31 pitch first inning and the fact that you're at 60 after three you might very well come back out and, and have found your rhythm and go in the fourth, fifth, and sixth inning, you throw 40 pitches, and suddenly it's a standard 100-pitch outing where you get at least through six. He didn't have the luxury of being able to do that tonight, and I wonder if that played into it a little bit where he just felt like in the back of his head he knew what was there, and so you start to press maybe a little more than you have to, and you don't just let your stuff do the work. He talked a little bit, too, about, and I mentioned before, the intensity wasn't necessarily a conversation about velocity, Intensity was just kind of referring to the stage moving back onto a big league mound. But in terms of velocity, because that is a question that people certainly would want to know about with regard to Jack Fleury and his health and how his body physically was uh, performing out there. I, the first inning was around 94, 95 mile per hour on most of the fastballs, somewhere 93 and change, but but definitely had a, an uptick. And, and really, that's more the velocity that you probably come to expect of Jack Flaherty back when he was going really strong in in the past couple of years, 94 is what he's capable of doing. And then you'll occasionally hit 95 or rarely 96, but that's kind of what he looked like in the first inning. And maybe you look at that and think, okay, that's good. That is an indication that he's where he needs to be health wise. But if he wasn't able to command that, it's just been a while since he's done this in the big leagues. And so he wasn't able to dial in 
on what that looked like, maybe that wasn't what needed to work for him tonight. And Jack talked about maybe working his way into the outing thereafter, throwing a little bit slower in terms of his fastball velocity. You look at the numbers from the second and third inning in particular, it's more like 91-92 on most of his fastballs. And so stepped off the gas maybe a little bit there, found some better command perhaps in doing so, and Jack was asked about that, said it wasn't anything injury-related or anything like that. Actually, he didn't even say that. He just said what it was, which was just a, an example of trying to find that kind of cruising velocity that you can sort of settle into and feel comfortable with. And I feel like at the first inning, he said at one point he tried to, he felt like he was trying to throw the ball through Yachty rather than to him. Uh, it's just, it sounds like he was just really amped up for the start. And it, it maybe is something that he didn't even recognize was going to be the case until he was out there and it was beginning. I thought, like I mentioned a little bit earlier in the postgame interviews, sometimes it was just like he was talking his way through the entire outing and said, well, and this at bat, this at bat. And it felt like to me that was almost him recreating the feeling that he had out on the mound, which is that maybe things were moving a little bit fast for him in his first start back. And that is sort of kind of the way that he responded to it with some of the jitters or butterflies that he was dealing with that manifested in a throwing ear to first base. I think it manifested in a little bit of command control issues. Whereas, you know, Ali Marmol said that he felt like the, the fastball command was good, and he did. He had a, a couple strikeouts with his fastball and and had a strikeout with a slider and, and had some pitches where, yeah, the fastball was was located well. But on the whole, the the pitcher himself, despite what the manager said, said he, he was not satisfied by the command of the pitch and, you know, it needed to be better. And so I, I think he actually said at one point that asked about his command and said, was it where you thought it would be? He said, no, are you kidding? Is where I thought it would be, I wouldn't be – it was terrible. <laughs> I wouldn't be walking guys like I did and, and need 60 pitches to get through three innings if that was the case. So he was definitely disappointed in the way it panned out. I think more than anything, though, the next steps are what matters the most about this outing, more so than the results from it. Like, it's a bummer that the Cardinals lost the game 6-4, to four, a bummer that they weren't able to complete the sweep over the Pirates, who are still the third-place team, by the way, in the NL Central. I think the Cubs have lost like eight or nine in a row as of now. And so nobody's really knocking on the door to take over third from Pittsburgh, despite the fact that they're not playing all that well recently. But more than anything pertaining to the result from the game, the most important thing now is how does Jack Flaherty physically feel, which tonight he said good, but how does he recover? How does his body feel over the next couple of days? Oliver Marmel said after the game doesn't have any reason to believe that Jack would not make a start in the Milwaukee series coming up. You know, a few days from now, they go to Boston first. It's an off day on Thursday and then Boston for the weekend. And then next week will be Milwaukee. And so Jack Flaherty probably slated to make his next start there. We know he's had in the past some some issues in Milwaukee on occasion. I recall the start in 2020 in Milwaukee was his worst of the year by far. I think he gave up like eight runs. I think that's probably still the worst start of his career, if I am recalling that correctly. But that'll definitely be a good test for Jack Flaherty to see where he's at at that point and maybe ramp up a little bit more on the pitch count, 75-80. Hopefully, they'll be willing to open him up a little bit, especially if the innings aren't as stressful, right? Like, if he had breezed through the first few innings, they may have been a little more willing to extend his pitch count more than what they said would be the objective goal. But when you labor for 31 pitches in the first inning, it made the most sense to cap him right at the number that he was prescribed for at the beginning of the game, and naturally he finished the third inning with that 60th pitch, and so it made perfect sense to pull him then. 
But it's all about the recovery at this point for Jack Flaherty and how he feels physically. Did all the plyometrics and the the rehabilitation process, did they, they do enough to increase the strength of the muscles and allow him to stay healthy and stay on the field, pitch every fifth day for the Cardinals the rest of the way? That is the key here because eventually, you know, if he didn't have his best stuff tonight, that is what it is. But eventually, Jack Flaherty, for, over the course of a season, it's unavoidable that he's going to find himself and is going to be really good. He's a really talented pitcher. It's just going to have to come out at some point. Got through a little bit of a hurdle tonight, and I think moving forward, it's just a question of can he remain healthy? Does he feel good physically? Does he recover the way he's supposed to? Because if so, you add that kind of arm, even if he didn't perform the way you wanted him to tonight, you add a Jack Flaherty to a rotation that already has Miles Michaelis operating at the level that he's operating at, throwing eight and two-thirds of no-hit baseball until he gives up the hit last night, and that's two consecutive games where he's gone at least eight innings. Had the complete game in, in Tampa. ERA is below three. It's like 2.8-something, or I think 2.62 now for Michaelis. Wayno is at 2.8-something. Dakota Hudson is is like 3.2. And so that's three guys that you're feeling pretty good about the way they're pitching right now, and then you add Jack Flaherty to that, and then you just find a way, whoever the fifth guy is going to be. Palante is kind of in that role right now, but you know you've got some backup in terms of guys like Matthew Libertor, who threw well in his last start. Zach Thompson may get another crack at some point or, or, or kind of shift into a bullpen role. If you're worrying about the fifth spot in the rotation, that is what it is. By the way, Jordan Hicks threw 30 pitches in a, in a session recently at full velocity. I think that was today, either today or yesterday he threw it, but we found out about it today. And so he could be out on a rehab assignment by the end of the week. And maybe you get him back into, if it's not a starting role, it's a piggyback role with Palante or whatever they need to do. Those two guys can cover seven or eight innings and that's a way to save your bullpen for other days. That could be a strategy that they go use. Who knows what they'll, they'll end up doing with that. But Jack Flaherty as a key cog in this rotation definitely changes the look and the trajectory of the way things could be going for the Cardinals from a pitching standpoint. want to give a little bit of credit. Shout out to Johan Oviedo for his performance in Wednesday's game because the Cardinals were down 4 nothing as we mentioned, but then they got a run back in the bottom of the second with a Dylan Carlson home run. Good to see Dylan homering from both sides of the plate during this Pittsburgh series. And then from there, after the third inning, it was onto the Cardinals' bullpen, and they had to try to find a way to hold it to see if the Cardinals maybe could make a, a little bit of a charge in this game. And they were able to do so, thanks in part to, well, an offense that was able to get it done, but Johan Oviedo holding it right where it was there for a little while. Two and a third innings pitched, one hit, one walk allowed. I'd be very interested to see what an Oviedo as a reliever would look like because we've really only ever considered him, oh, he's the guy you call up when you need a starter because things aren't going well or somebody's hurt or you got a doubleheader. So Oviedo, come on up. Hasn't pitched all that well as a starter in the minors this year. And the Cardinals' typical process is, oh, a guy's pitching well as a starter or he's he's been good in the minors as a starter. Let's call him up to the Major League bullpen and change his role completely. Maybe that's what they need to do with Oviedo to kind of get more out of him because they've always done this with guys who are thriving. But then you have the conversation about, okay, he pitched so well as a starter in the minors. Doesn't that mean he could maybe be a starter in the majors? Why are you kind of boxing him out of that role before he's ever gotten the chance? That's why I like so much that they're actually giving Palante the opportunity now before he becomes the latest victim of that where you just, a guy who looks like a good minor league starter then because he can thrive as a reliever, which is inherently a less important role, especially if your team doesn't have five healthy and incompetent starters at a given time. I like, though, that they're letting Palante get the chance to start 
rather than kind of get boxed into that the way we've seen with other guys. Helsley, Hennessy's Cabrera, you know, it's the it's the group of people, and you can even say Jordan Hicks, Alex Reyes, although injuries kind of played a role in, in both of those situations. But it seems like every year it's the group of people that we say, oh, yeah, they're preparing for camp as a starter. And you shake your head and roll your eyes because you know that they're actually not going to get that chance more often than not. So I really do like that Palante is getting the chance right now. Hey, I like that they gave it to Hicks for a while. But you know what? Hicks maybe has since proven that starting is not as much for him in terms of his effectiveness. And I know maybe I, I'm a little bit quick to pull the rug on that just because he hasn't had all that many opportunities. But Cardinals fans on Twitter and, and social media have been saying, okay, the Hicks experiment's got to end anyway. And that was before he hurt the forearm. And so we'll see what the Cardinals end up doing with him when he comes back. I do think multi-innings is a role that he can do well. I just don't know that that at this point he's ahead in the pecking order of, of anybody else in terms of being that fifth starter. Like, let Palante continue to give that a, a go if he's succeeding in the role. And, he, you know, Jordan Hicks can piggyback, like I said, and, and you can try and make that work. But I like that they're doing that with Palante. I like as well the notion of being able to look at a guy like Oviedo who's got clearly a lot of raw talent, great arm talent, but they've forced this issue with him as a starter for a number of years now, and then even in the minors this year has not been performing up to what he had done previously. Maybe now is where you kind of reverse the trend and say, okay, this is a guy who does have talent, but he's not getting it done as a starter. Let's use him in a different role and see how he responds, and maybe he could be a weapon for our big league team, which has found a lot of trouble with middle relief help. Well, tonight it looked like that was maybe a step toward that because Oviedo in two and a third innings was really sharp. Just two base runners, only the one strikeout, but it was solid. ERA for the season down to 4.09. I think I'm ready to see Oviedo more in a relief role. Again, if a guy is thriving as a starter and then you rip him away from that role, I'm not as keen on it because maybe he's never going to get the chance again to show what he could do as a starter. Oviedo, it's not that he's old. It's not that he's, you know, he couldn't still turn it around as a starter someday, but at 24 years old, we've seen him for several years in a row. We're getting a little bit fatigued, I think, of him. 2020, he came up when he was absolutely not ready to do so, but had to because of COVID and, and all the things that were going on that summer. And so he got thrust into a role. And, you know, maybe it changed his development track. Who knows? We'll never really probably understand the full ramifications of that. But Oviedo looked good tonight as a reliever, and it, that's something that the Cardinals have lacked. And so, absolutely. Keep him in that role and see what he can do for a little while. I have no problem with that because at this point in the major league level, you can't just have a bunch of middle relief guys who can only throw one inning anyway. Like having guys who can give you bursts of, of multiple innings or an inning a third or two and a third or whatever it might be, that's valuable in 2022. So I like that from Oviedo tonight. Unfortunately, it was Andre Pallante who was on a 40-pitch count according to Ali Marmol after the game, and he did throw exactly that number 40. Um, because they do want him to start in Boston on Sunday, I believe, was the implication from, from Marmol on, on Palante. But he gave up the home run to Brian Reynolds. That ended up being the difference in the game, actually, because the Cardinals, despite trailing 4 nothing, they got the homer from Carlson in the second. And then the fifth inning, it was Dirtbag Donovan again, or I think it's Dirtball, was the phrase that Adam Wainwright used about him in a uh, story that I think Benjamin Hockman wrote for the Post-Dispatch. But Brendan Donovan just continues to do his thing. I mentioned him a little bit earlier talking about the defensive play that he did not make in the first inning as the first baseman could not turn the 3-6-3 double play. Later on, he did turn a 3-6-3 double play. He had multiple diving catches, and he had a play where Smith Najigba was running out of base hit and then kind of made a turn towards second, was safe, 
But then after having turned towards second, if you make that gesture to go for it, you then are considered in the field of play and you could be tagged out if you're not on the base. And so he started walking back to the base in fair territory, which it doesn't matter if you're in fair or foul territory at that point, but the fact that he went for the initial turn is what put him in fair territory. And Donovan heads up play to say, this guy's walking back to the bag. I don't know if he thinks I don't know, but I do know. I saw what he did, tried to turn toward the base, and I'm going to put a glove on him and see what happens. Well, what happens is the first base umpire called him out, and Brendan Donovan made another heads up play. But it wasn't just that what he did defensively, which, again, he's playing at a different position every night, and it's really impressive what he's been able to do. Still to be a, a plus defender at those positions. Like I said, he didn't make the play in the first inning, but he made so many other plays in, in that in that game from first base that were positive that I'm not really all that worried about what happened in the first inning. He goes three for four, gives up, or, uh, or pardon me, scores a run and drives in two, had a, a big hit in the fifth inning that drove in a couple more runs to make it four to three and then ends up scoring the tying run later on in the inning. Just fantastic. He's up to 341 on the batting average, 913 on the OPS. I have no idea how sustainable any of this is, but as we talked about with Paul Goldschmidt yesterday, he was talking about Donovan, and what impresses him about Brendan Donovan is the preparation that he goes through. This might have been two days ago that we we had this conversation on B-Shape Daily, but Goldschmidt has been struck by the preparation and the consistency of it from Donovan, which lends you to believe that it's not a fluke and it's something that can continue for this guy to have more success moving forward. But what's amazing about him is that the fact that his on-base percentage is nearly 500 at this point. Like he, I, I think I tweeted out tonight, Brendan Donovan doesn't get on base every time, but it does seem that way. It really does feel like he's on base every single time. On base percentage up to 448 for Donovan. Goldsmith, by the way, had a double. Ho-hum. Also reached base via walk. OPS still sitting at a cool 1070 for the uh, future 2022 NL MVP. Definitely off to a good start for June to be able to win that monthly award as well, the way he did back in May. He's just been absolutely impressive. I said, oh, it's just a double tonight. It's all you get from him. He's, he, I guess it couldn't last forever then. Oh, well. But he still reached base twice in the game on the season. He's still been absolutely preposterously ridiculous. Ever since April 22nd, really, he's been on an absolute tear on base percentage of 430. It's no Brendan Donovan, but he's a you know close to 450, close to where Donovan is on the on-base percentage. And Donovan, I guess he's getting up there to where he is going to begin kind of entering into that conversation for qualifying statistically in, in statistical categories because so far, every time you look at it among qualified players on MLB.com or wherever you find your statistics, Paul Goldsmith remains the leading on base percentage in the National League. However, Brandon Donovan eventually could catch up with having enough uh, games played, enough plate appearances, and could end up overtaking him in that regard. We'll have to wait and see if that takes place. Because right now, Brendan Donovan is ahead in OBP. So we'll have to wait and see. But yeah, they climbed the mountain. They made it 4-4, to and then it was Palante giving up the home run to, as I said, the stone-cold killer, Brendan, or pardon me, Brian Reynolds. Two for three for Reynolds tonight. A couple of runs scored, and the, the two big RBIs happened on the seventh inning home run. And that was it. Cardinals could not mount anything over the final few innings against the Pirates' bullpen. And part of that was because David Bednar, their closer, went two and two-thirds innings, gave up one hit one walk and struck out four. He's got a 1.14 ERA for the season. The Pirates finally said, listen, we can't buy a win in this series. And so here's what we're going to do. After Roanzi Contreras goes four and a third, we're going to bring in Will Crow for two innings. He's got an ERA of 2.1. 
and they're going to bring in Bednar for two and two-thirds, nearly three innings, to just close this damn thing out and get us a win. It worked. Pirates have two good relievers. They used them tonight for more innings than they used their starter for. The two relief pitchers, Crow and Bednar, combined for 4.2 innings, four and two-thirds. Contreras only threw four and one-third. And so that ends up being enough to get the Pirates a win. Cardinals go 5-2 and two on the homestand ultimately, so a pretty good showing. Granted, it was against, what, the Reds and the Pirates, and so you, you don't know how amazing you feel about the fact that uh, they didn't get any sweeps in either of those series. But at the same time, if you win both series, one of them being a 3 out of 4, continue to uh, build a little bit of a cushion in the division, although they, they did lose a little bit of ground with the Brewers winning on Wednesday and the Cardinals not winning, obviously, but 37-28 is the record for St. Louis. They get the off date on Thursday before they head to Boston. Be an interesting series against the Red Sox. We'll try to be here on B-Shape Daily to break it all down. Not sure if we'll do anything for Thursday just because of the off day, but if you've got any topics of conversation that you'd like me to discuss on a B-Shape Daily, even as early as Thursday, send me a direct message on Twitter at B-Shaper12 and say, hey, I don't know if you're doing a podcast on Thursday, but if you are, here's what you should talk about. And you know what? I, I may just take you up on it after I uh, finish up with my bowling league on Thursday night. You never know. But I will try to be uh, a little bit more diligent, as I have been so far this week, about getting podcasts up for you guys. Make sure you go back and listen. If you haven't seen any of the, uh, or should I say, heard, 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 any of the recent podcast episodes, because I've been putting up, in, in some cases, two per day, getting some good tidbits from the KTGR Big Show radio show. Um, but then there for a while, Apple Podcasts was not posting. So if you listen to the podcast with Apple, you may have missed a couple of episodes. Go back and check it out if you're looking for some more Cardinals content for your week. Otherwise, I'll leave you guys here with that. That's going to do it for this edition of B-Shape Daily. Appreciate you guys, as always, for listening, and we'll talk to you next time on B-Shape Daily. Peace.